Friends, we've got a few readings uh, from the New Testament. And if you could turn to uh, Matthew's Gospel, Matthew chapter 10, first of all. It's page number 1506 uh, in the Pew Bible. We're currently in a little series on uh, the fruit of the Spirit. In Galatians 5, 22 and 23, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. We're currently looking at peace. So if you have um, Matthew chapter 5, we'll... Uh, sorry, Matthew chapter 10. Uh, we'll break in at verse uh, 26, reading through to verse 31. This is the word of the living God. Therefore, this is Jesus speaking. Therefore... Do not fear them, for there is nothing covered that will not be revealed and hidden that will not be known. Whatever I tell you in the dark, speak in the light, and whatever you hear in the ear, preach on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body but can kill the soul, uh, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin? And not one of them falls to the ground apart from your father's will. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear, therefore. You are of more value than many sparrows. We could turn over to uh, Philippians uh, chapter 4. And that uh, will be page 1806. So Philippians chapter 4, as you're flicking over, remember last week we quoted from uh, the upper room where Jesus is talking to his disciples. And in John uh, chapter 16, towards the end of that upper room discourse, Jesus says to his disciples, These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. You know, I have, uh, in the world you will have tribulation, that's a given. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, says Jesus. I have overcome the world. So if you've got Philippians chapter 4 beside you, we'll read from verse 4 through verse 7. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ. Amen. And one final reading from uh, 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter 5, it's page number 1860, 1860. We'll read from verse 6 um, down to verse 11. First Peter 5, verse 6. Again, this is the word of the living God. Therefore, humble, yourse- <coughs> humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Be sober, be vigilant. Because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brothers in the world. 
But may the God of all peace, who calls us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. To him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Friends, just uh, before we hear the word of God proclaimed, let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, with your word in our ears and upon our hearts, we ask that we might understand what it means to live in the security of your heavenly abiding love and indeed faithfulness. Help us to help us to this end, Lord, as we pray, as we think along these lines this morning. We pray that you would help us to concentrate on all that is said and done. Those of us who name the name of Christ, may we be built up in our most holy faith. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, beloved, we are looking at the fruit of the Spirit as it relates to peace. Those of you who were here last week, we sought the answer uh, three questions. Uh, What is peace? Uh, Why is it needed? And where is it to be found? What is it? Remember we said that it's uh, the peace that comes from knowing that my account with God has been settled on account of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. Are you sure as you sit before me this morning that your account with God has been settled, that your sins are forgiven? Do you have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ? Have you repented of your sin? Have you embraced him? That was the first thing uh, we said in relation to what is it. Secondly, it's peace with others. So once you become a Christian, then you want to be at peace with other folks. And it's also peace within Now, it was that third aspect that we concentrated on, uh, particularly last week. And the reality of the peace within, we note it does not preclude the experience of living life, whereby um, we know that there is much to hinder us. Just because we're Christians doesn't mean that we're wrapped in cotton wool. Uh, We find that even in our Christian lives, there is much that can uh, destabilize us, and make us feel at less than peace. Hence, uh, the, the reason I want to return to this topic this morning, because it's important, given the seriousness of the topic, to explore um, how, how do we fit the two elements of peace and anxiety uh, together. Yet now, we all know personally what it is to worry about things to some degree or other. I know what it is to be anxious in my spirit I know what it is to uh, you know to join the three o'clock club in the morning to awaken from sleep and feel as though life is unraveling or it's a, a mountain range that's absolutely impossible to climb uh, where each of us are in the scale of things from minor to major I think uh, we'll all identify with anxiety or stress to some level You know, we can all hold hands together and acknowledge it. I I would be very surprised if uh, there was anyone sitting before me this morning saying to themselves under their breath, breath, you know, Billy, this is totally irrelevant. Uh, It doesn't impact me. 
Now, that, that said, I recognize that there are some people who, by dint of personality, have a kind of stoic perspective on life. It may or may not be peace, or it may actually be a form of cynicism. You know, it may be the kind of stoicism that essentially responds to all of life with a shrug. You know, who cares? So what? Who pays attention anyway? Now, this may be the stoic, but what of the Christian? What of the child of God? Well, as we noted last week, peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ does not translate into the believer having freedom from difficult circumstances, trying circumstances that would rob us of our peace. Jesus Christ says categorically, doesn't he, in that upper room discourse, in the world, he says, you disciples, you are going to have tribulation. You can absolutely bank in that. The second thing he said with uh, great confidence was this. The Lord, your Savior, I, the Lord, your Savior, have overcome the world. So God is sovereign. He is on the throne. He hasn't lost control. And we readily accept the circumstances of life that bring into our experiences, uh, you know, joy and happiness and tranquility as coming from our sovereign heavenly father. But this is the rub. This is the dilemma, and it's harder to accept. Times of difficulty, times of trial, also come from that same hand. The hand of a sovereign God who is upon the throne of the universe. And you say, but Billy, does Satan not come into this? Of course he does. You know, you think of Job. Satan brought times of difficulty, stress, trial, anxiety into Job's life. There is no doubt about that. And we know that it was God, the sovereign God, who set the boundaries. Who said to Satan, this far and no more. God's in control. So we can come at this, if you like, from three angles. We know the three angles are outlined for us in the Bible. You know, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. We know that we wrestle against spiritual wickedness. We know that we wrestle with the flesh. We know that we wrestle with uh, the world. So we have the devil himself and his animosity towards those whom have been, uh, he's been unable to stop from becoming members of God's family. Secondly, there's the battle with the flesh. You know, the, down, the downward drag of our own sinful impulses, uh, which remain. It has this crying out, O wretched man that I am, who's going to deliver me from this body of unrighteousness? And thirdly, there is the corrupting influences of the world that are external to us. And yet they bombard us with fuse of the world and God, which are alien to what the Bible would teach. And so on these three fronts, we are confronted by challenges, which sometimes seem almost insurmountable. They certainly rob us of our peace. 
So here are some hindrances, friends, to our own sense, our experiential sense of genuine peace with God within our hearts. Now, there are numerous hindrances. I could keep you here well into the afternoon, you know, looking at a long, long list of them. I won't do that. And there's a tangible sigh of relief there, wasn't there, from the congregation. But I'll give you five, okay? I'm sure you'll be able to come up with more. But here are five hindrances to, to our peace that impact our sense of peace with God. Number one, unwelcome hindrances. Those kind of things that come into our lives that find us saying, why this? Why me? Why now? And you know, friends, unless, unless we have identified the fact that God, our Heavenly Father, is sovereign over everything, we will find that we are virtually inevitably robbed of our peace if we are just looking at the circumstances without God's overruling hand. Because, you see, peace in that sense, when it becomes just a... You know, circumstances dictate how we're feeling. Um, peace then becomes largely guaranteed by the well-being of offense. You know, if things are going well, I'm happy. And I'm contented. If things aren't going well, well, what on earth has gone wrong? Where's God in all of this? And as soon as circumstances begin to go south, you know, you're happy for a while and then you hit the, you know, the folly... You're no longer able to find in them the, the joy that you knew when you were on the mountaintop. And so the satisfaction is gone, the peace of God. The peace is gone. And circumstances then, unless we've got the right perspective, can rob us of our peace, uh, can hinder us in our experience of peace. Secondly, the hindrance of unconfessed sin. So I'm thinking about areas of our lives in which we now have begun to tolerate sin. Things which, um, you know, a short term time ago we would never have tolerated, but maybe because of the shift in society's perception of things and what society calls right and wrong, uh, you know, I begin to embrace also and tolerate that as Normal, and it becomes part of your life, and yet it's sin. And it goes on unconfessed. And we begin to cozy up to sin and think it's okay when God says it's not okay. And that sin has to be confessed. And unconfessed sin can rob us of peace with God. You know, sometimes we have no peace, we wonder why, and it's because there is unconfessed sin in our life. My friends, listen carefully. God's word, the Bible, makes it clear that disobedience to the, to the clear instruction of the word of God and genuine peace in our hearts do not, cannot go hand in hand. So you can't be disobedient and expect to be living in peace. So it's right for us to feel guilty when we're sinning. And the Holy Spirit can fix us of that. And it's necessary for us to bring that guilt before the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ and confess it. 
and to ask God uh, to wash us in the precious blood of the Lamb. But when we choose not to, then we shouldn't be surprised when we don't enjoy peace in the life. Thirdly, what hinders peace? Uncertainty. Just any kind of uncertainty. Uncertainty about the future. Just the fact that we don't really know what's going on. The fact that we're not sure what's happening. You know, unless we have a confidence in the God who is in control of everything, even the sparrows that fall to the ground. You know, if we don't have confidence in that, you know, for example, if we can't have confidence in the fact that God is in control of even the smallest details, we won't be able to handle the current, ongoing, manufactured, manipulated crisis from public health to climate change and a whole host of other things in between. If you're going to pieces because of everything the BBC throws at you, you know, you need to get back to the Bible and say God is sovereign here. God is in control of everything that happens in this world. Unless we have a confidence in the God who is, the God who is in control of the sparrows and the fairy hairs on our head, we won't be able to handle this strange world in which we are living. We'll find ourselves saying to one another over a coffee, I'm living a world... I'm living in a world I don't understand. It would appear that everything's completely upside down. And it's not that, you're, that you have to go looking for these events. You know, they come at us day and daily, again and again and again. There is so much in our lives that is inevitably uncertain because we don't know what a day holds. We don't even know what the next hour holds. Therefore, that uncertainty, unless it is entrusted to a loving Heavenly Father, becomes a hindrance to the experience of peace. Fourthly, fourth hindrance, pain from our past. So not simply uncertainty about the future, but pain from our past. Yes, God deals fully, and he deals comprehensively. With our painful pasts. He is the one who is able to cover over the multitude of our sins. And once you are in Christ. When you have embraced the Lord Jesus Christ as your saviour. And you seek to live for the Lord Jesus Christ. As you are faithfully trying to follow him. Now you're, and immediately you are in a battle aren't you. And you are conscious of that battle. So what does Satan do Immediately you're in that battle. He tries to churn up all the memories of the past and rob us of our peace and joy. And so it's useful to memorize scripture, isn't it? You know, certainly seek to memorize Ephesians chapter 6 verse 11. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. You know, good to learn that whole section on the armor of God. But you see, once we step out in obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ, the evil one is most ferociously engaged against us. And one of his greatest tactics is to come up to us and whisper in our ear and say, what about that in the past? 
call yourself a Christian? You really think it's been covered, dealt with in the cross? And he seeks to undermine and rob us of our peace. And of course it has been covered over. And that's why it's good to remember those scriptures that tell us that God in Christ has put our sins as far as east is from west. That he's taken our sins and he has cast every one of them into the depths of the deepest sea. He has put a sign over it said, no fishing. All our sins, paid in full, because of the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. One comes to us and says, uh, the evil one comes to us and says, what about that in the past? God says, it's cleared. I don't remember it. So don't let Satan rob you of your peace by dragging up the past. Fifthly, the hindrance of uncontrolled desires. Now, James talks about that, doesn't he? He says, uh, you want certain things, you covet certain things, and it really robs you of your joy because you're so consumed at wanting what your neighbor wants or wanting what your friend has, your ex-friend has, because you've fallen out with them because they have something that you desperately wanted and you don't have it and you've fallen out with them or whatever. You know, stupid things enter into the life. But you've got these uncontrolled desires that rob us of our peace. And that's why we'll never have peace, or nobody will ever have peace with an envious, jealous heart. You can't have peace with jealousy in the heart because it eats you up. You're just annoyed and uh, upset about what everybody else has, but you don't. And so those uh, uncontrolled desires can rob us of our peace. You know, uh, if any of you have read Screwtape Letters, well, in the screw tape letters, you remember the senior devil screw tape giving the instructions to the junior devil. And he says to him, the junior apprentice, he says, what you need to do is get these people, and when you get them, he says, get them to take good things at the wrong time, with the wrong places, in the wrong place, in the wrong quantities. Uncontrolled desires. Now, with all of that said, here are a couple of comments from Paul's letter to the Philippians and then Peter's statement to, uh, uh, sorry, then the statement from Peter in 1 Peter 5. So have you got uh, Philippians 4 before you then, the passage we read earlier? It's a familiar portion of scripture, isn't it? It's a classic. And in Philippians 4, peace and joy are interwoven. So in verse 4, if you've got Philippians 4 open there, Rejoice in the Lord always, again I say rejoice. You know, friends, the opposite of joy is not sorrow. The opposite of joy is hopelessness. Because the Christian knows joy, even in the midst of sorrow. You see, it is, you see, if joy is simply the absence of sorrow or the absence of difficulty or the absence of pain, then we don't even have a clue about joy. No, joy, joy is that which is produced in us by the awareness of the fact 
that it is the same heavenly Father who is overruling all of these offense. Come back to God as sovereign. And so we are able to rejoice in the Lord always. Now that's a crucial phrase, isn't it, in verse 4? Rejoice in the Lord, do it always. And he says, let me say it again, just to drive it home. Rejoice. And then he says in verse 5, let your gentleness or your reasonableness or your spirit of contentment be known to all men. So unlike, you know, the, the rumpus that's been going on in the previous few verses, if you're familiar with Philippians 4, you know, between Yuri and Syntyche, boy, they were at loggerheads with each other. And there was anything but peace. And there was anything, I guess, but peace in the fellowship. Because, you know, when there's folks at loggerheads and other, one, other folks know about it, people get sucked in and there's disharmony. Uh, within the fellowship. So Paul said, look, this has to be sorted out. You know, get these folks to agree. Get them to be at peace with one another. Uh, once you get them to have peace with one another, once it's sorted out, um, you need to remember that the Lord is at hand. That, that's a motivating factor, isn't it? And getting your disagreements sorted out. The Lord's at hand. The Lord knows what's going on. The Lord's going to call you to account. So the Lord is near, we are told, to those who fear him. So verse 6, here's the exhortation, okay? Be anxious for nothing, but instead pray about everything. Now that's a tall order, isn't it? Don't be anxious about anything. Can I be anxious about a few things? No. You don't need to be anxious about anything Instead, pray about everything. So when you're anxious, for whatever reason, all those hindrances, and there are many more we could have mentioned, but when you're anxious, pray. There's, there's the answer, pray about everything. Perhaps that's why, I'll say this cynically, perhaps that's why prayer meetings are the least attended meetings you know, in any church, I guess. You know, why pray if you're anxious? Why pray if you can worry? Why do you need to pray for you can wallow in your worry? Now come on, none of us are exempt from worry. But we need to be praying, praying for one another. Pray about everything. By prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. It's supplication... As opposed to, oh God, help me, thank you, good night. Okay, it's supplication. It's Lord, I'm bringing my deepest longings, the deepest longings of my heart to you. In obedience to your word. I'm doing what you have said because living in this fallen world, I am anxious about all of these things. And now I'm telling you about it. And I'm trusting you as I come to you with a genuine spirit of thankfulness that you will bring these matters in line. Now thankfulness bit is vital, isn't it? In everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, 
Let your requests be made known to God. What is Paul getting at there? What he's getting at is this. That the only way we can really pray with thanksgiving, thankfulness, and genuine supplication and bringing all these matters before God is when we are prepared to be thankful regardless regardless of the answer okay I'm coming with the spirit of thankfulness and so heavenly father I will thank you whatever the answer because father you know best So this is my earnest plea, whatever it is. This is my genuine supplication, whatever it is. This is the deepest longing of my heart. But I want you to know, Heavenly Father, I thank you. Because here I raise my Ebenezer. Isn't that what we sang in our opening hymn? Come thy fount of every blessing in the second verse. Have any of you ever worried about that lyric? Here I raise my Ebenezer, hither by thy help I'm come. And have you ever worried about, wondered about it? You know, uh, when I was at Bible College, um, it was in the pastoral theology class, you wouldn't have known this, when uh, Norman Shields, Norman was a good brother. But in the pastoral theology class, you know, um, saying this as young ministerial students, um, you know, important that your congregation sing things that they understand. And he quoted that hymn, you know, Come thou fount of every blessing. You know, tune my heart to sing my praise. Here I raise my Ebenezer. Who in the average congregation knows about raising their Ebenezer? Nobody. That's the hymn. And that was his advice. I'm thinking, no, it's biblical. And you don't ditch what's biblical for something that is shallow and repetitive. You bring the congregation up to the level where they understand the Bible. And when they're singing, here I raise my Ebenezer, they're able to go in their mind immediately to 1 Samuel Chapter 7, verse 12. Where Samuel took a stone, set it up between Mizpah and Shen, and called its name Ebenezer, saying, Thus far has the Lord helped us. He says, I'm going to set up this stone so that every time I walk past it, I am reminded of the faithfulness of Almighty God. I'm reminded of all of the reasons I have to be thankful to him. And that is what translates, friends, into the present tense reality. That God helps us along life's journey. Picking up exactly the same point, John Newton, in our second hymn, wasn't it? 744, yeah. Do you want to turn to 744 in Christian hymns for a second? Is that... Be gone on belief. I'll give you time to find that and follow along with us. Yeah. 744. Be gone on belief, my Savior is near, and for my relief will surely appear. 
By prayer let me wrestle, and he will perform with Christ in the vessel. I smile at the storm. Though dark be my way, since he is my guide, tis mine to obey, tis his to provide. Though plans be all broken and creatures all fail, the word he has spoken shall surely prevail. And here comes 1 Samuel 7. Verse 3, his love and time pass forbids me to think. He'll leave me at last in trouble to sink. Each sweet Ebenezer I have in refute confirms his good pleasure to help me quite through. And verse 6, since all that I meet shall work for my good. That's the good as well as the bad. Since all that I meet shall work for my good. The bitter is sweet, the medicine is food. Though painful at present, twill cease before long. And then, oh, how pleasant is the conqueror's song. You see, when we come to God and pray in this way, the promise here in Philippians 4 is that we will be delivered from that which is the basis of our anxiety or the basis of our concern, and the promise is peace. That's the promise. Do you see that? With thanksgiving, let your your requests be made known to God and the peace of God. The peace of God. You see, that's the problem, isn't it? And and this is another reason why we don't have peace sometimes, another hindrance. You know, if, if when I pray, I'm only willing to settle for deliverance, what happens when there is no deliverance? If when I pray, I'm only prepared to settle for the answer that I want or that I need or worse still, that I think I deserve, that I deserve, you know, you're not going to make any headway because the promise is that he will be, that we will, that he will grant us peace even in the storm. Now, very briefly, a couple of thoughts from 1 Peter 5. So flick over to 1 Peter 5, and i say just a few thoughts, and we'll be done. Okay, Peter, not surprisingly, he's coming at this in exactly the same lines as Paul did in Philippians. Casting all your care upon him, cast all your anxiety upon him. You know, Peter knew what it was to have cares. He knew what it was to be anxious. And so he's speaking empathetically, and he's writing empathetically to these Christians and to ourselves. Now, that word for cur in Greek comes from a root verb, which actually means to divide. So the idea of cur or anxiety is that the mind is divided. You become uncertain, you become unstable, and you don't have things really under control. Now, we find exactly the same verb in the Gospels when Jesus arrives at the home of uh, Mary and Martha. And Martha, as you know, if you're familiar with the Gospel, she is troubled, she is anxious, she has cares about many things. Same verb. What's going on? Martha is serving, and she is divided And she's more than a little ticked off with her sister. Now, these folks are human-like. What do you think it's like in the kitchen when she's banging the plates down? 
Now she wants her, her feelings to be known. And she's gone out and she sees Mary sitting there listening. She's slogging her socks off and she just comes out with it. You know, I'm trying to get the whole thing together here. I've organized the meal. I'm making the teas and the coffees. And what are you doing? You're just sitting there talking to Jesus. And yes, friends, there is a time to sit and talk to Jesus. But you know, some folks are, some, are so distracted and so divided because they've created for themselves situations that they, you know, this has to be done. I have to do this. And it has to be done a certain way. And it has to be completed within this time frame. And I have, I have to be, uh, it has to be accomplished in this fashion. And it's the very root of that which creates anxiety. Because cut, somebody's cutting the sandwiches the wrong way. And it sends some bananas. You know, it's a little thing sometimes. The anxiety is there. The cares are there. The action is noted. What are you to do? Well, verse 7, cast all your care on him. If you just look back at verse 6 for a second, you'll see the imperative. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. Don't worry about getting exalted. Cast all your care upon him. God will do the exalting. You see, friends, it takes humility for us not to take the matter into our own hand, not to run with the deal, to determine our own destiny, to make sure that we have got everything buttoned down and under our control. Humble yourself under God's mighty hand, casting your care upon him because he cares for you. Okay, our time is gone, but ponder this. You know, follow it from verse 6 to 11. In verse 6, you have the humility that is cultivated by the enabling grace of God. Verse 8, there is again our adversary, the devil, coming about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. And you see, friends, it's within the middle of that context, that battleground, the promise of our anxious cares being dealt with comes to fruition. In the wonderful close of Peter's letter, verses 10 and 11, the God of grace, who has called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus after you have suffered a while, will perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you to him be the glory and the dominion forever and amen. My friends, we know the value of a good hymn book. Have a good hymn book by your, by your Bible. Read it. It will help you when the blues come, help you when the anxiety comes. Of course, obviously, read the scriptures, but read a good, keep a good hymn book. And I was out seeing Burrell on uh, Wednesday or Thursday, but anyway. Um, as I went up to the door, she was playing her piano um, about walking with Jesus. And then said, it's nice to hear the piano playing, encouraging yourself, you know, as you... You know, go through those hymns and she says, oh yes, I have a hymn book in this room. I have a hymn book in the living room. I have a hymn book beside my bed. I have a hymn book in the kitchen. And she has just as many Bibles, obviously. But you see what I'm saying, friends? Keep a good hymn book 
beside you. Because when Satan is buffering, you're able to turn up those hymns. Read them and encourage yourself. Because many of the hymn writers are writing about their experiences. Hymns like, in heavenly love abiding, no change my heart shall fear. And such is, and safe is such confiding, for nothing changes here. The storm may roar without me, my heart may low be led, but God, God is all around me. And what the hymn writer saying, can I be dismayed? Of course not. How can you be dismayed if the sovereign God of the universe is with you? And he's faithful to his promises. Amen, Joyce. Isn't that right? Now, that's not an amen to say, shut up, preacher, you know. That's an amen to keep going, isn't it, Joyce? But we are finished. And may the Lord have blessed this, uh, you know, these few stammering words to your hearts uh, this morning. You find it practical.